bring the word of God this morning. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. It's always a delight when we have the opportunity or I have the opportunity to share what God's doing and his word. Amen? Amen. Yesterday, the family and I, we went down to Albany and we had the opportunity, I had the opportunity personally to um, a wedding. I officiated a wedding of Jill's and my niece and it was a celebration. An absolute celebration. And then when we went into the reception area, I, I was absolutely amazed how beautiful that our niece had everything put together. It was absolutely incredible. Fantastic celebration. But after a while, we began to chat, and as we were heading home, there was some difficulties that were underneath that you would never know that was going on, perhaps in the family, some sadness and some pain, some difficulty was going on. And as I thought about that and I thought about Palm Sunday and the triumphant entry, that's about what happened. There's a great celebration, but there's some things that are happening underneath that brought great discomfort and sadness as well. So I invite you to take out your Bible and let me pray because we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 21. But let me pray as we get into God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, your word has all the answers that we need. It's had it from the beginning of time and it has it today. And if we are searching for answers, we have questions in the back of our mind, may you answer them. May you give us hope today and give us clarity. May our hearts be open to what you desire for us to hear. We give you thanks in your son's name. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to start with verse 1 and read through verse 11. It's the triumphant entry, as we call, of Christ. Now, when they had drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethages at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them. And bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately they will be sent. The power of God. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now this prophetic um, word which was found in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 and it was written 500 and 520 BC years ago but it is so prophetic and it just declares that God the son of God was coming it is a triumphant entry going now to verse 6 the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them they brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them and set him on the donkey and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, others cutting down branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the multitude who went before those who followed, crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That particular verse, 
Hosanna means save now. Save now. The children of Israel were saying, our king has come. Save now. Save now. And then in verse 10, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, the king, the king. You see, they thought they knew who the king was, but there was some uncertainty. I remember when Jill and I first got married and we went with a couple to the Aladdin Theater. Some of you might even know where that is today. It's off of Hawthorne and about 50th. And it was with another couple. And as we went into it, we were a little bit late. The, um, Sandy and I, the other couple, Sandy and myself, we went in early and Jill and Gary decided that they wanted some popcorn and some pop. So as we sat down, it was, the movie was about to start and it was dark. And then I could see Jill coming in, and she, her eyes hadn't adjusted, and she was with Gary. And they went right past us, thinking they were going to find us. And in about two rows in front of us, there was a group of, I would say, mentally challenged people. And they were sitting right on the aisle. And one of them was, was a black man sitting right on the aisle, about two rows in front of me. And Jill walks right in front of me, and she's looking straight ahead at this gentleman. And she gets about this close to him and starts saying, Dennis, move over, move over. <laughs> She's just looking at him, move over, move over. And at this time, Sandy and I are just laughing, and, and Jill's, she's still not getting it. And finally I go, Jill, and then she's looking up, and her eyes begin to adjust. And she could see, and she's, <laughs> and then she goes back to me in the midst of all that. And the children of Israel they had a mistake in identity with Christ. That's what it was. It was a mistake in identity. The same people who were saying, Hosanna, save now, a few, later, few days later were saying, crucify him, crucify him. You see, Jesus went in a matter of days from a hero to zero. He went from being Lord in their life to like a lunatic. He went from being prophetic to being pathetic because there was a mistake in his identity. They got confused, perhaps, and the triumphant entry was short celebrated because three, four, five days later, something else was about to happen. You see, after the journey on Jesus' life here on earth, he was preparing to go home, and that was part of the triumphant entry. This was the last few days on earth, and it, to me, it's unfathomable to think about Jesus, who had been confined in a human body for 33 years, and now he was preparing to go home to be with the Father. Perhaps Jesus was going home, and the homecoming was maybe a little bit bittersweet, bitter knowing that in a few days what he would see and go through these difficult times unto the cross but the sweetness of going home and being with the father in the presence of the father he was going back to be with the father to take his rightful place 33 years might seem like an eternity to a god who had never been confined to a physical body confined with great physical limitations to the world that he had created 
Just imagine that for a second. See, he was going back to a place where there was no time, where yesterday is today and today is tomorrow. Going back home, where perfection is the norm and beauty is the standard. There were no physical boundaries exist in the home where he was going back to. That's, and I can't even imagine. Just think for a second. When Jesus was going home, the celebration, the imagery, think for a second. You have the cherubims, the seraphims. You have the heavenly host. You have the angels all preparing to see for the first time the now redeemer coming home can you imagine the celebration of that the redeemer coming home the lamb of god is stepping back from the temporal back into eternity the place that he calls home the boundless one was now who was confined for 33 years in a human body is unconfined he's our unconfined redeemer and now he has confined the enemies of our soul. It's truly amazing. It's also amazing that getting back home, Jesus had to go through difficult times. Very difficult times. Jesus knew that they were difficult. But he knew that the triumphant entry wouldn't last long. That it was truly preparing him for home. So this morning... The sermon I have is it's called The Hard Road Home. And this morning, I just want to simply share with you three, simply three things to remember when you are going through difficult times. And you will go through difficult times. Trust me, you will go through difficult times. So the first thing is this. Great joy comes when you're heading in the right direction. Great joy comes when you're headed in the right direction. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, very simple verse. Very simple. And it's talking about the magi or the wise men, and it says this. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they saw the star, they, they were excited what is extremely great joy well extremely great joy is something that's unanticipated and you see there's goodness that's about to happen it's like the soccer mom who has a physically challenged daughter or son who's in the last game and they put her in or put that child in and they score the the goal that's that's exceedingly great joy it's like the young person who's getting ready to get their diploma and they're walking up to take it, and you see their face, and they're, they're so excited. It's extremely great joy. It, it, it's like the bride being walked down the aisle with her father, and you see in her face extremely great joy. It's also like the, bride, or the, or the groom, who you see in his eyes also the anticipation of the first night of his honeymoon. You understand. Amen, Matt? Amen. Exceedingly great joy. 
You see, when you're, when you're heading in the right direction in your marriage or anything, there is exceedingly great joy. If you're heading in the right direction, there's joy. I know in my marriage, when I am struggling, it's because we're not going in the same direction. And you know why the wise men were so excited? Because when they saw the star, they knew that they were headed in the right direction to Jesus. So that's where the excitement was. The star directed them to Jesus. So in your marriage, if you've got challenges in your marriage and you're not going in the right direction with your spouse, you won't have great joy. If you're on at the right job, you're not going to have great joy. You're not going to have great joy until you're headed in the right direction. And Jesus was heading in the right direction to the cross. Going in the right direction sometimes will cause you pain and discomfort. You still have joy, but it sometimes will cost you pain and agony. So keep going. You have joy in the midst of the pain. Going in the right direction also will many times help others that are looking at you and they see how you're responding. And that, yes, my life isn't perfect, but I'm trusting in Jesus and he's going to guide me through. Yes, Jesus was heading in the right direction and soon it would cost him his life. And heading in the right direction will cost us something. It will cost you and me when we're heading in the right direction. What is it that it might cost us? It might be unforgiveness. It might be pride. It could be anger. Whatever your sin of preference is, that's what it's going to cost you. Whatever it is, it will cost you. So what we need to do is simply let go. Give it to Jesus because Jesus paid it all and that's the cost. A few weeks ago, I bought a new car, and I love this car. I was looking for a while, but I, I bought a car. It's beautiful. I paid for it. I have the title for it, and I have insured it. I did, and it's mine. And when I think about that, Jesus loves us so much, and he paid for us with his blood on Calvary, all right? Not only did it end there, but this is a part I like. Not only there, he took from the stingy hands of Satan the title deed of our lives. He did when he rose from the dead. Not only that, then the insurance. He insured our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't get any better than that. It makes me want to have happy feet, I mean, and dance, because... It's, he insured, he paid, he took the title deed, Satan has no authority anymore, and then he insured my life with the power of the Holy Spirit, as my dad used to say when he preached, woo! <laughs> That's something to get excited about. Yeah, the title deed. So, so when you're going through difficult times, you should have exceedingly great joy knowing that Jesus went through that to the cross, and he was heading in the right direction. The second thing, when you're going through difficult times, remember that unwavering confidence comes when you're doing the right thing. Unwavering confidence comes when you're doing the right thing. 
Jesus submitted. Jesus knew that the triumphant entry wasn't going to be for long. It was getting him to his main purpose. And he did it with joy and obedience. But let me state this. Many people are headed in the right direction but are doing the wrong thing. Many people do that. They're heading the right direction, but they're doing the wrong thing. For example, if I go back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, with the wise men, the wrong thing for them would have been to go back and tell Herod where the road that they found in the star. That would have been the wrong thing to do. But they were on the right road and did the right thing. All right? And what about us? In our marriages, sometimes we're headed in the right direction. We got the counseling and so things and so forth that we need to help our marriage but then we begin to speak the wrong words words of death instead of life that's not doing the right thing though you're on the right path in your marriage if you've struggled with drugs and you've got the rehabilitation that's happened to you the right thing is to keep going in the right direction the wrong thing is to stay with the friends that you have get new friends alright don't keep doing the wrong thing on the right path because it won't get you anywhere. If you're trying to lose weight and you're on this diet thing, the right thing to do is stay on that path. The wrong thing to do, my daughter won't like me, is to go to Fat Cupcake. <laughs> All right? All right? Well, maybe just go by and take a sniff and then keep going. Gifts. There you go. There you go. Gifts. Gifts. So, doing the right thing. Second, the third, or the second thing I have here is it's kind of a sports kind of thing. Keep the end game in, my, in mind and in sight. That's what Jesus did. He knew he was going through some difficult times and where he would end up. But Jesus stayed true through the triumphant entry. And he knew where he was going and where he would end up. He was going home and that through the cross that all of our filthy rags would be washed pure because of the cross. We have a um, home promise center, and many of you probably haven't seen art machinery. Well, let me give you just a little taste of it, all right? And this is home. Hopefully in another year we will be in our home. But art machinery, if you drive up into the parking lot and you look over the fence, you would think that on the other side, it's the retirement center for all these washer and dryers, okay? So you can kind of get, and they're all commercial-type washers and dryers that are back there that are all used and so forth. I talked to Gil last week, and I said, Gil, tell me a little bit about your washers and dryers. And I found out this, that they have washers that take 65 pounds of clothes at one time. That's a, that, that's a lot of clothes. That's a lot of dirty, smelly clothes. Well, it gets better than that. He said, hey, there are huge washers, this kind of blew my mind, that can take up to 600 pounds of clothes, and when it's done, it's, all the things are even folded up and so forth. So that's all, you know what that is? That's all of our clothes right here could be washed and clean. And that's what Jesus does. He takes all of our clothes and he makes them white as snow. The filth and the sin that we have that's in our lives, 
And the only way that he did that was because he was confident and not wavering in doing the right thing. He's taken my sins, he's taken your sins, and he's, and he's washed them white as snow. Thanks be to God for washing our sins and making them white as snow. See, he bared the cross, unwavering confidence. And then Jesus, keeping Jesus as our example and not ourselves. That's something that we have to work on almost every day because there's three people that want to get in the way between Jesus and us, and that's me, myself, and I. Because I want to put one of those three on the throne sometime during the day or during the week. And I'll tell you, when I do that, I want you to hear these words carefully, when I do that and I don't make Jesus the example, I make myself, me, myself, and I, not only does it destroy marriages, destroys people, lives, and so forth, but when I do that, I am serving another kingdom and another king. I want you to think about that. When I put myself on this throne, I am serving another king and another kingdom, not the kingdom that's up above. And we do that so often. We say, okay, I'm moving Jesus from, uh, from taking the will. I'm going to take the will from Jesus. You know how that song goes. And I begin to drive, and boy, I'll tell you, you're going to drive off the road every single time. Every single time. Unwavering confidence comes when we're doing the right thing. And you can't have me, myself, and I as an example when we have Christ through the triumphant entry. The third thing that you should do when you're going through difficult times is to know that love always trumps hate and faithfulness never fails. Those are some good words. Some real good words. Difficult times will come, and we know that they will come. And that's when our faithfulness begins to fail. James talks about it. Let me just read about what James says about a double-minded man. In James chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. But let him who asks in faith with no doubt, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. Don't even think that you're going to receive anything from God when you're double-minded. And it says he is double-minded, unstable in all. Is all his ways. When you're usually unstable in one, you continue in the others and unfaithful. When struggling through a battle or difficult times, your faith will be challenged. I promise you that. You begin to ask, is this the right thing to do? Should I be going down this road? Who are my friends? You begin to question your direction. You begin to question, okay, God, am I really doing the right thing? And if you really begin to lose your faithfulness, you will fail the battle. Not only will you fail the battle, you will not continue to go down the right road. And you know what? We see this in the Christian life. We see it in Christians all the time. 
when a difficult time comes, what happens? Faithfulness fails in church attendance. When, let me, let me give you another one. When hard financial times come, faithfulness fails in giving. When I'm having a difficult time in my marriage, faithful fails in getting godly advice. You just put whatever you want in there. It usually fails unless you're standing firm and you know that you have to have faithfulness in the little things because it then grows in the big things. It just grows, grows and grows. So you should always try not only be on the right direction and seek God in the midst of everything, but faithfulness is what God desires for us as believers. Think about Jesus and what he has done. All these people failed Christ. <laughs> a week later, first they loved him, as I said, and they said he was a lunatic later on. They failed him, but in the midst of all that, he remained faithful. Also, in the midst of difficult times, we can easily get off, get off track and forget about loving, being a loving person. And sometimes hate can be the weapon of our choice. Even though we don't want to, it's just almost a natural response. And we begin to say things that we shouldn't say or the way we shouldn't respond. And God does not ever want us to use words that are going to bring about hate. He doesn't want us to. But it happens many times. It happens. Johnny Wallen was born in Allen, Kentucky in 1924. By his 12th birthday, he was known in three country or counties for sharpshooting. He was always took first prize in the country fair for his fancy shooting. When he was 10 years old, he and his family learned about the war that broke out in Europe and that fella named Hitler. Then the paper said Pearl Harbor was just bombed and we were at war with Japan in the Pacific. I told my mom and my pa that I was fixing to enlist in the army and to go fight for our country. The onlyest thing was that I was not old enough, so my folks didn't tell the truth. At the age of 15, Johnny Walden enlisted in the army. After basic training, I was assigned to the 6th Infantry then we were deployed to the Pacific on the biggest ship I've ever seen. Almost as soon as we had landed, we, threw, we were thrown into the worst of the conflicts. Because we held the record for the most consecutive days of continual combat, we were called the Sightseeing Six. Finally, we were on our way to Zulon in the, in the Philippines. We had battled for 219 days straight. My unit mission at Luna was to clear the jungle to build an airstrip. But just about every day I was swinging a machete at thick underbrush 
and saw a small little native hut yonder. Then suddenly, like I could feel someone behind me standing there, I looked and saw what I called a dream of a scrawny little girl. I dropped to my knees and drank in her. My name's Kentucky John. I pointed at myself. Kentucky John, she just stared, wondered. I wonder what your name is, I muttered. Then I noticed a small birthmark on her arm. It was like the shape of a perfect heart. Little heart, I sang. That's what I'm calling you, Tucky Joe. She suddenly blurted out, out as she pointed at me. Tucky Joe, Tucky Joe, Tucky Joe. She sang as she turned and ran into the jungle. The very next day, I made it my business to be in the same place where I first saw her. And sure enough, finally she came. After that, almost every single day, I would meet with Little Heart so I could share my K-rations with her. One day, when I was showed up at the spot, Little Heart was not there. I got real scared, so I toted my bag and set out for her village. When I stumbled into the village, Little Heart ran out and fall down and hugged my knees. Sitting on a hammock was a very old man. So you must be Tucky Joe. I'm Linus. You have been very kind to my granddaughter. She was the only one left in the village that could, or he was the only one left in the village that could speak English. You have been very kind to my granddaughter. Yes. She has not spoken since her mother was killed by soldiers. Her father and brother were taken. Your name is the only thing she says. After a time, I got my sergeant, after a time, I told my sergeant about the village folks. Little Heart was our constant shadow. Everybody in my outfit had grown to love them. One day, my unit was rousted from a deep sleep. Enemy troops are headed this way. We have to evacuate. Sarge, what about Little Heart and the villagers? Ain't got time, kid. Sarge, if I run as fast as I can. The Sarge nodded his permission, and I took off running. I arrived just in time, and they all followed me back to the base. Some of the boys in our outfit picked them up and threw them into the back of the transport truck. Little Heart was in my arms hugging me as hard as she could. Tucky Joe, Tucky Joe, she cried as she hugged me even tighter. I had to pull her off me and throw her into a transport truck. She tried to jump out of the truck. No, little heart, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. The truck rolled out. That was the last time I ever seen that little girl. The war ended, and I went home to Kentucky. I ended up marrying my darling, Freddie. We've been married now for 65 years. We have beautiful children, eight beautiful children, 24 grandchildren, and 28 great-grandchildren. But in all these years, I don't think, a, or a day does not go by that I don't think about Little Heart. Now, a lot of old soldiers were getting sick these days. One day, on our normal routine visit to the Veterans Administration, a nurse came into the room. She had my thick file in her hand. 
Is this your photo of you when you were enlisted? You were very handsome. I have some new, new medicine for you today, Mr. Wallen. I had to meet with the specialist, and they agreed to take your case. Need, you need some special medication for your heart condition. They have described the finest for you to take. How much is all this going to cost? It's all been taken care of, the nurse said. And how did you ever get Johnny to see this specialist? We've been on a waiting list for what seems like years, said Frida, Johnny's wife. Why do you think you're doing this for me, girly? Because I'm taking care of you now, just like you did so for me many years ago. Tucky Joe will only have the finest. Only the best for you, my Tucky Joe. The nurse wiped, whispered and wiped the tears as they rolled down her face. Nurse Zabella was true to her word. She personally saw that Johnny Walden received the finest possible care for the rest of his days. She later told him that she had been looking for him for all these years and had lived in hope that she would, could thank him for all the kindness that he had given. She attended nursing school, married, and became the mother of three sons. Her greatest gift to him was to order him the best and new hearing aid. She also, to him, she had, she also allowed him to have cataract surgery. So for the first time in 10 years, he could see and hear. Johnny Walden was one of the most decorated soldiers. But to Johnny Walden, the medal that meant most to him was a small silver heart on the chain that Nurse Savella gave him shortly before his death. He was buried with it pinned to his chest, and on the back of it it would describe, from my Tucky Joe, from Little Heart. You see, Little Heart had been left behind many times, and yes, she was left behind by Tucky Joe, but in the midst of all that, she refused to hate. She loved. And Tucky Joe, good old Tucky Joe, was faithful to remember her each and every day. Folks, we will never be left behind by our Savior. And He is faithful, and He will always love us in the midst of whatever we're going through. You see, that triumphant entry was just the gateway. It was the gateway for, for redemptive a power in our lives. And we, we have the opportunity to not only hear the words, but to walk in the words as well. To walk in the words. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back. And I, I, I just want us to think about a couple things. First of all, as I said earlier, exceedingly great joy comes when we're doing the right thing. And unwavering confidence comes. It comes. And the greatest thing is when faithfulness 
doesn't fail. When faithfulness doesn't fail. So I want you to bow your heads right now, and I want just to spend a few minutes with the Lord. Father, we know that triumphant Sunday, Psalms, Palm Sunday is here. And we thank you for that. There was a celebration, but it was short-lived because you were going home and you were headed to through trials. But before you went home, you accomplished the greatest thing that could have ever happened. A redemptive gateway for us to go through. And I believe some of us today are going through difficult trials. And we don't have that exceedingly great joy. And maybe we're not heading in the right direction. Or maybe our confidence has been wavering and has been wavering greatly. And perhaps over this past week, instead of using love and letting love triumph, we used hate with the way we looked at someone, the words we spoke, or just in a silent stare. And our faithfulness has failed. If you today, you're saying, God, any of those areas, that's where I am today. I need to get back on track. I want you to stand as I pray this Palm Sunday for you. If you're saying, God, I need that exceedingly great joy. I want confidence that's unwavering. And I want to be faithful. Thank you, God. Lord, we're standing because we are, first of all, confident that he who began a good work in us will complete it. And we stand on your promises. Standing on your promises. And today, Lord, it's good to know that you've gone through trial and temptations and you've overcome. And today, may we overcome. May we truly overcome. So if you're the person today that you don't have that great joy and you're, and you're saying, God, I want to make sure that I'm headed in the right direction, Father, we pray for you today that there would be clarity in the direction that we're going. And as they put their face to the direction and they are walking towards you, they're embracing the things of God now. And they're saying, I am walking in the direction of Christ. May they begin to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit and to walk in confidence, in joy. May they have exceedingly great joy today in you, God. And then, Lord, I pray for the person today that has wavered in their confidence of doing the right thing. They know the right thing, but they've been wavering back and forth. You know what you need to do in your marriage to make it strong. You know what you need to do at your job with that person that's either over you or under you that's right. You know what you need to do with your children. Perhaps some of us today, we haven't been disciplining our children. We've been bringing them to church every Sunday, Lord. We let them hear the word, but when we get home with them, we don't put the boundaries 
and the expectations and we don't discipline them the way they should be. God, may we have confidence in how we raise our children to love you. And then for those that would say, today my faith has failed. I haven't allowed my faith to grow and to bloom and to flourish as it should. Well, today is the day. <laughs> today is our day for faith. Let faith arise. Let it arise in our hearts and in our minds more than ever before. Do you have the faith today to believe that your children that are prodigals are going to come home? Do you have the faith today that believe that your marriage can be stronger than it ever has been? Do you have the faith today to believe in the miraculous physically for your body? Do you have the faith today to believe that you can speak life instead of death? Do you have the faith? Because some of our faith has failed, but today speak it out. God, give me the faith. Let me walk on a different road than I have. Let me hear your voice, God. Not my voice, your voice, or the voice of this world. Faith in you, God. Faith in you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, that we can be like a tucky Joe. May we have the, the love that little heart had. Thank you this Palm Sunday, Father, for a Savior who came into town. And when he came into town, the people were celebrating. But in a few days, there wasn't a celebration because of what he was suffering. But we can celebrate because there was life because of what he has done. Which leads us to Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for each person here today. We ask, Lord, that you bless us as we leave this place. May we be more and more like you. In Jesus' name. I invite you to stand as we... Angelica and Abigail lead us in this song one more time. God is good. And he's good all the time. And his faithfulness is forever. Amen.